0: Hello and welcome to the AdNUD podcast, the podcast for the Adelaide.net user group. I'm your host, David Gardner. This is the recording from our March 2022 meeting, Visual Studio 2022 features and Q&A with Kendra Havens. And now over to the presentation.
1: Cool. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Um, if anyone wants to, so thank you everyone who has their cameras on. If anyone, more people want to turn them on, I end up actually demoing to you. So if you look bored, I'll like rush through sections. If you look really interested, I'll like add things or, or be kind of interactive. Um I've given this, these kind of demos a lot, but uh the real benefit for me is interacting with all of you and actually understanding like what you are most interested in and hearing your questions and stuff. So I'll try to kind of keep an eye on the chat. Um and we can kind of hop in, so I'll go ahead and share my screen, bring that back up, okay. uh, why did that exit presenter mode come up, okay, um, so this is the general agenda of uh kind of what I wanna talk about, so um, I have lots of just little itty bitty um tips and tricks um uh, to go over with uh new visual studio twenty twenty two um A lot of it, I have a lot of testing stuff. I have some hot reload and performance tips with .NET 6. Um, We have some exciting things on remote testing and connecting to different environments like a Linux container and running tests there um, or over SSH or WSL, so we can get into that. Um, And then I have a ton of productivity code fixes and refactorings. Um, David is actually on our productivity team. Um, So David Wenger, um, who's in chat, so. he can probably demo this much better than I can, so feel a little bit judged. Uh no. <laughs> uh but we'll go into the cool navigation stuff and Razor Editor improvements and refactorings and all of the things that um kinda added there. So let's dive into it.
2: Do-do-do. Where's my mouse? Forward slides. There we go. Okay,
1: so Visual Studio to uh well, too far. Oh, it's so laggy. Okay. Visual Studio 2022 is 64-bit. That's a huge, huge thing for us. People were asking for this for years. So this means the Devon EXE process is no longer limited to four gigabytes of memory. So for users with large complex solutions, um, it's an absolute game changer. So you just have more memory available for everyday operations like debugging and searching and loading your project and running and open editing, all of that good stuff. Um, it doesn't change the bitness of, of the applications that you develop with Visual Studio. So you can still make 32-bit apps with 64-bit Visual Studio and just get those performance avail- uh, improvements. Um, a big thing with this is in Solution Explorer search. I think we did actually blog about this on the Visual Studio blog. I'll have to go check if, if I can actually find the link. But um, for solutions, open source solutions like Orchard Core, just searching in the Solution Explorer became 50% faster which we we're very excited about. Uh, cool, and I can't mention performance things without referring to the amazing Stephen Tove's uh, .NET 6 performance blog post. If you want to get super incremental on how the heck every single update to the framework is so much faster, um, you can you can go through the 400 PRs that Stephen um, summarized of where we're actually getting performance improvements. So these are super core areas um, like formatting and sums and get length and compare on all these different C-sharp types. A ton of these improvements were contributed in the open source from the community, I think over half of them, Um, so. Yeah, we're we're just that's one of the huge benefits of you know being an open source platform. People will come out of nowhere and up and 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 help you out with with making your formatter more efficient, which is absolutely amazing. Um so we love that. Uh some of the cooler stuff in Visual Studio 2022, that it's more visual performance, you all, you 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 just get it. You don't have to do anything, you know, it just feels a bit faster. But the more visual things we in Visual Studio 2022, we have new themes. Um, so we actually took a bunch of really popular Visual Studio code themes and we made a theme converter that can put Visual Studio code themes right into Visual Studio. Um, so Grace Taylor has a blog post about that on Visual Studio Code, and, uh, it got a ton of attention with, um, some of the most popular themes in the community, like Abyss, Dark Plus, Can Be Dark, Light Plus, Monokai, uh, Red, Solarized Red, Tomorrow Night Blue, and our community themes were like Winter is Coming, um, so kind of Game of Thrones theme, Cyberpunk, Dracula, um, Deep Dark, that kind of thing. Uh, and one thing that I really like here is you can set your Visual Studio theme um, now to match your Windows system setting as well. So um, I can use my system setting. So my entire Windows 10 uh, setting is dark mode. So all of my Windows 10 like search and my settings kind of thing all show up in like dark windows. My whole office, my outlook is in dark windows. So now um, Visual Studio can also adapt to that kind of thing and what else is
2: cool
1: Uh yeah just general so uh one thing to call out in our dark themes is we do have more contrast so you might see a lot of things uh a lot of our documentation and presentations like this normally I would always always use blue theme because that is met the accessibility requirements um now dark theme does too so you might actually finally be like oh this is why we're using dark theme Um, So some of our documentation will be updated like that, too. So something you might notice immediately is my tabs are different colors. So we do have tabs colored by project now, so it can immediately help you organize your tabs better and you can set the color and customize it for um, a specific project group. So you can set it to absolutely anything. Let's go with like blue and I can reset all of my tabs for a certain project. Yeah. And just while we're still talking about kind of visual stuff and themes, um, I want to go ahead and talk about we have new properties, pages, UI, new ish. Sorry, I guess it's been a while, a long time now, but now it's themed. It's one continuous scroll. Um, So you don't need to like hunt through multiple different pages. You can just search one whole thing. So if I want to look up uh, my fancy schmancy hood analysis. If I knew how to spell it, I could find uh, my code analysis settings kind of all in the same pane, which is really nice. That's project properties
2: UI update as well. Okay, so,
1: oh, I got some chats. Can you set the tab color per namespace? No, but I do really want to look at if um, that request exists on developer community yet. Um, Did you all know that you can Send feedback on Visual Studio with this little icon up at the top right and you can suggest a feature and request things exactly like that. So when I get requests like this, um, my first instinct is, oh, I got to go to developer community right here and I got to search for it and I got to upload it if, uh, to to see if people uh, are, are kind of uploading them out in the wild. So um, you can you can find stuff like that there. I know tabs by color by project was super popular. I'll have to look up if namespace is is on the backlog. Well, cool. Let me introduce you to this app a little bit. This is a really simple solar system solution um, that is just a loads like a NASA RSS feed and calculates what planets are visible in tonight's sky and uh, does some nice stuff with um, uh, uses a bit of Blazor um, .NET six all, all that good stuff. Um, so there's the RSS feed. And, uh, one thing that I want to show off is Hot Reload. So, uh, Hot Reload is the ability to, uh, basically, sorry, just catching up with where I've gotten, um, uh, modify your app's managed source code while the application is running without needing to manually pause or hit a breakpoint. So it's, you can simply make a supported change and while it's running, Um, it'll apply code changes and apply your edits. So we have a button to um, kind of hot reload your app to apply code changes, but you can also reload on save. So let me show you a little bit what that looks like. So my app is currently running. Pull that up right now. Oh, come on. There we go. So let me just change the header here really quickly. And I think there was a question in chat that I was trying to absorb while talking, which is, and debug mode at the lower status bar changes to a brownish color. Can this be easily changed? Um yeah, I know that orange of what you're you're talking about. It's actually in my uh I can get rid of my team's notification. There we go. Um yeah, I don't think you can set this color. Actually, let me just dig into it. Maybe David knows, but uh because there's an intense amount of stuff you can set in your environment uh, in general.
2: Mm. On some colors, there we go. What I wanted. So for text editor,
1: usually this is like a different settings of text and not background colors. So I doubt that you can.
2: Oh, Wait a second. Well, that wouldn't be right, no, that's not it. mm,
1: I'd hunt around in here for for a minute, uh, to see if I could change the color of this bar down here. Uh, yeah.
2: I'll have to look that up later. Ah, uh, yeah, so there's an
1: extension to change that bar color, but it's overkill, yeah, not sure. uh, let's see. I'll keep trucking forward. Was they going to show oh, hot
2: reload so uh
1: Pull up my pane again. So, um, oh, so I need to save the file. So actually let me dock this to the side so that it's a little bit more obvious. So I'll go ahead and save this file. All I did was um, duplicate this header here. So control S and without like reloading my page, without FI being without even like, rebuilding, my header appears um, in my tab. So it helps you can you can massively reduce how many times you have to build your app in that iterative loop. Um hot reload is very much based on sort of the edit and continue technology, but you could only use that in the context of the debugger with a breakpoint before. And now we've taken out the that requirement that you're like halted at a breakpoint in order to uh kind of do the hot reload. So let's look at something a little bit cooler. Um, let's look at the kind of find visible planets code. I'll navigate in my razor file um, to the C-sharp code block that we're actually in. And uh, I kind of move this over, make this a little bigger. Let's try that. Um, so here we have a for each loop that's really just checking if um, the planets are within the today's kind of date. So it runs through this um, little planet file and and compares if all the dates in it are within today's range to figure out if that planet is visible in tonight's sky. So if I went ahead and broke this code, um, this is going to affect uh, this line, these planets visible today. And this is actually me like editing C-sharp. So all I have to do is save it. That line disappears because I broke the code. So you know, no kind of rebuild happened in the background. It's very like subtle and incremental and, uh, so sa- it can save me a lot of time to kind of actually see and develop changes. Um, yeah. So, um, again, in order to use it, you need hot reload on file save. That's the trigger, or you can just, um, press this button directly and kind of hot reload your changes. So let's take a look at that in, uh, a test scenario. Because that's, that's inside of debugging or F5 even. So even, um, the, the start without debugging, control F5, hot reload is totally applicable. It's also applicable in, when you're testing. If you go ahead and turn on the experimental, um, hot reload, uh, test runs for C sharp and visual basic in, in .NET 6 and higher. So .NET 6 and higher, that is one limitation, um, for testing specifically for, When you're debugging or the F5 loop, so F5 without debugging, um, it will work even back to previous versions of um, if you're targeting .NET framework, um, or even, er and of course, earlier versions of .NET Core, so .NET 5 or .NET 3.1, it can work back there. And it's uh, compatible with, um, uh, I think, all of our, all of the modern uh, .NET project types. So WPF, WinForms, .NET MAUI, ASP.NET Core, um, console applications, WinUI 3, um, and a lot of others um, so let's look a little bit about how it works in the test explorer. So the huge thing that we always get in feedback on tests is um, I've just built how do I avoid doing a rebuild when I'm running tests and uh, this can help out massively with that ask. So if you you do need to have at least one build on disk, so you need to go ahead and uh, have at least one build with hot reload on with that checkbox on. So if I go ahead and switch to tests and clear that pane. I'll pin my test explorer up here for a minute. Oh, I built the wrong test project. Let's do that one. So I have um, tests that are doing kind of similar things, testing the similar, similarly um, visible planets. And this this test is just console.rightlining what visible planets are going to print out with this logic. So as soon as I test it once, you can see that it did do a build um, when I ran that test project. So I'll go ahead and clear that pane. So I have like a a build on my disk, right? Um, And when I built that, I got my standard output. I know what visible planets were there. So I'm gonna go ahead and change this test code. And then I'll rerun this test. So now no planets should appear. Am I satisfied with Hot Reload and Test Explorer? Absolutely. (laughs) That's my own survey um, trolling me there. Anyway, okay, so um, the the test ran, I got the new results, so it picked up the changes of breaking that if statement there, and look at our build pane. It's still blank, it's still cleared. So no new rebuild happened, even though I actively was changing test code. It could rerun a test um, without a build. Super cool, this is crazy. This will save an immense amount of time. Okay, cool, cool, cool. So, uh, remember that is a, that is a option and tools option. So go ahead and actually you can get there by just, uh, from your test explorer, going test explorer, the gear icon with options and that little checkbox there. We catch up on chats. The sort order of tools, options, fonts, and colors is weird. I agree. It's probably terrible. <laughs> we should probably make it more alphabetical or logical. Um. And it's independent of unit test framework. Yes, hot reload is independent of unit test framework. So it'll work for X unit and unit MS test. Uh because it all works through the VS Test console. Cool. Or the VS Test runner, rather. Not the yeah, okay. Uh okay, so some more little tips and tricks with testing that I want to show off. One really cool thing that I'll never shut off about. Um now when you right-click inside of a test, you can jump directly to that test in the test explorer and it'll highlight it. Yes. So this is a lot like sync with active document that you might have used in the solution explorer. So I can jump to, um, the document that I have open in my editor in the solution explorer. So I can jump down there, which is really nice. Just highlight it, get everyone in the same context. Um, so even if, uh, you know, the test explorer is everything's, you know, collapsed, it's, I exit out of it entirely. It'll always, um, pop up and open where I want. It does have the keyboard shortcuts, control ES pretty nice. Uh uh just the little things sometimes. I I'm actually expecting way fewer people to use the search in the test explorer to actually find tests that they need cuz uh it's just you don't have to like actually hold the test name in your head and type it out and like actually search for it. It's just jump to the thing you need, uh which is so so nice. Uh cool. Oh, and I think I forgot to do something when I shared. I need to share with audio. Let me go ahead and include computer sound. Some of you might know what's coming. So, in the test explorer, you can now play a sound when tests finish running, which is lovely. So let's see what sound I have set. I'll go ahead and run. Ah, so I ran a single test and all of the tests in that run passed. So let's run it if at least one test is failing. So, some of you may be wondering, um, was that a customized sound? It was indeed. I wouldn't just put that in default. That would be, would I do that? No, th- my bosses wouldn't let me do that. Let's let's do that. So, um, you can configure sounds again in the Test Tools options, and um, it opens the Windows 10 Sound dialog. So, you can choose from any wave file that you have on your machine. Um, Visual Studio actually has a ton of extension points, so you can also play sounds when you, like, hit breakpoints or when builds, cancels, fails, succeeded. Um, so these are just really nice when you're, um, you know, like, multitasking, you kicked off any kind of long-running operation, and you just, yubba-dubba-doo. <laughs> that would be a great sound. Thank you, chat. Um, so you can, uh yeah, choose any sound that kind of brings you back to the context of what you were doing and gets you back in the mode. Uh, so let's see that was my funny sound I think there is a more normal sound that I usually try to yeah something like a ding actually that's too positive I want to do something was chimes more yeah that sounds like a problem so I'll go ahead and play and apply and again if the whole test runs, so I'll run all of these tests if they have at least one failing test you'll hear, you'll hear the failing test sound. Cool, cool, cool. So um, you might've seen, um, I have a bunch of lines in my test code. Um, This would normally not be very useful at all as some of you might be very familiar with, Um, but now we do support standard output and standard error actually appearing in this test detail summary window on the side. So you can get your entire stack trace, that's pretty normal, but you can also now get your standard error um, and standard output. So that includes console.writeLine and, uh, yeah, all, all all kinds of things. So you can kind of collapse it and expand it. Ah, uh, and this is something, you see these, this is wrapped. So unwrapped, just right click, wrap text. Um, it gets me when I still get people asking for the test detail summary to do this, and I'm like, it's in there, we put it in there ages ago. Please use, um, please tell your friends. Anyway. It's it's, it's all there for you. Um, and another thing, I thought I had a quick one for that. Oh, yes, yes. So for a super, super long output, we also, um, modified how many characters appear by default in the test explorer window. So it used to be capped at like something really low, like 300 characters. So we way, way, um, upped the character limit of what kind of summary appeared before you had to open the additional log. Um, we have this so that Your test can stay performant and and kind of responsive. So some people are producing um, multiple files um, off of a single test run uh, or tons and tons of of characters and everything in logs. Um, So we kind of truncate that data so we don't need to load all of it with every test all the time. Um so that's kind of why we do that. So this this is kind of a huge file of of that RSS feed. So you can always expand and open it. And um these are actually gener generally kind of nice features. So um before you also couldn't like select a substring string to copy out of the test explorer. Um and now you can. So it's more of a standard um editor window. And one cool thing. Oh yeah. Okay, cool. So Let's move on a little bit to uh, that sound control panel pane has been in Windows since maybe 95, probably. It was probably, yeah, well before <laughs> my time. So speaking of output limits, the debug immediate window limits to 100 lines. Could this be increased, please? The immediate window output, huh, yeah. We could probably get that back on the backlog. Again, my first instinct is, uh, ooh, let me go search developer community and see if that's there developercommunity.visualstudio.com. Uh, cool. Uh, so I wanna talk a little bit about um, remote testing. Um, so you might be noticing this weird drop down in the Test Explorer, That that's kind of new. So um, this only appears if I have a test environment.json file, um, and we can actually generate one for you. Um, it's this uh, option to configure remote testing environments. And what this does, is generate a uh, test environment.json at the root of your repository that can list out what other environments your test explorer should connect to in order to run tests. So this is listing out a, woo, don't want to do that. This is listing out a Docker file um, of this name on my computer that is running. Um, I could also list out a WSL install that I have locally, or even connect over SSH to other VMs with different Windows operating systems installed and that kind of thing. Ah, um, so question in chat, does standard out and standard error capture work for XUnit and other test frameworks? I'm so glad you asked. It does capture console.writeline for in-unit and MS-test. It doesn't for XUnit because XUnit use uses the iTest output helper and it's used that for years and that be, kind of became a standard for XUnit users. I do think we should start going ahead. and So we, we don't support console.writeline and that we support the iTest output helper and that appears in the test detail summary. I feel like we should also just include line, but I think it, it broke some people who we initially talked to. So we were kind of um, unsure about that. I keep on wanting to go back and ask Brad what the right thing is to do for exceeding <laughs> for users. But that's where we're at. Um, OK, so Test Explorer, these environments loaded. Ooh, super cool. This. Uh these environments are all bring your own compute so I do need to for example make sure that that docker file is built on my my machine so I'll go ahead and do that and I can build that from the uh Visual Studio Developer PowerShell uh because Visual Studio has an integrated terminal where you can host all of your favorite terminal things like even WSL or developer command prompt and yes it does kind of I think it shares a lot of code with the Windows terminal that's usually things that people ask for obviously not all of the cool UI parts but Okay, it's there. (laughs) Um, Cool, cool. So now that that Docker uh, container is running on my machine, I'll go ahead and connect over Linux. And let's take a look at my tests. So before my Windows test was passing and my Linux test was skipped, so if I go ahead and uh, navigate there, you can kind of see I do a check and check what OS it's running on and then skip it if, if it's not supposed to be running on that OS. Um, so Windows test passing. So now I've discovered a test on a new environment that hasn't run yet. So I'll go ahead and run all of these on Linux. It'll get rid of the old Windows test results. And uh, this is entirely connected to my container. And now my Windows tests are skipped and my Linux test is passing. So you can even debug these on a local uh, Linux container, which is super helpful. It will go ahead and attach the VS um, remote debugger if that's not installed on your container. Um, So we kind of try to glue glue things together in, in, in your environment to get you the kind of debug context that you want. And should hit this breakpoint, boom. So I can hover over and see um kind of variables and what I have in my local um context and everything. Uh, so that's, yeah, a remote debugging on a Linux container from Visual Studio on Windows inside of a test. Yay. I'll go ahead and turn off the sounds because <laughs> they they throw me off when I'm presenting. I think, ooh, what am I doing? Okay, cool. Uh, one last small thing on testing that I always kind of want to give a shout out to. Um, Playwright is a new, uh, test generation, uh, or a web UI testing framework, I should say. So let's kind of take a look at, uh, one of the tests we have here. So Playwright's really cool. It's, uh, you know, all about, um, kind of asynchronous cross-platform testing. So it's very much built with web UI in mind because a huge challenge with testing web is it's really flaky. Things uh, can move around a bit. There's a little latency in any kind of service or element that's loading. Tests really, really needed to have um, asynchronous built into it at the framework level. So um, things like Selenium could actually like mandated you to put in kind of sleep threads and that kind of thing. So Playwright is very much saying, let's not do that. Let's actually call everything async and and um, do that. So um, it's actually built language agnostically. It doesn't come from the .NET team. It actually works for TypeScript, Python, .NET, and Java. Um, so again, very kind of web focused and, and trying to. Uh, get people what they need. So it does come with a recorder. So it's kind of a a test manual test kind of generation tool. So let me go ahead and show you that. The recorder is um, cross-platform. So it's entirely kind of CLI-based. So you could easily run this from um, VS Code or a Linux environment. Which is kind of cool because you're probably hosting your uh, website on, on things like that. So uh, I'll go ahead and kind of navigate around. So on the right side here is the recorder and it launched this window. And basically you can see I'm getting a bunch of um, sort of highlighting for different elements. And every time I click and interact, it's going to be recording these steps. So I can, you know, um, interact with expanders, navigate to new pages. And that kind of thing and every single time it generated a different step for me and here you can kind of see the drop down i can generate in different languages so that's cool so uh everything that was generated here was just in like a main file so i could run this as a console app um and we do have plans in the works to I think we have a, a preview of um sort of a load testing service that's using this. So kind of mimic hundreds of users um using your, your web app. So playwright load testing is definitely something I'd keep an eye on because um, we've tried to solve this problem in multiple different ways um, over the years, and I think we keep on, you know, figuring out better ways to to call this, to, to use asynchronous, to target plat- cross-platform, to be more language agnostic and fit with a bunch of different stacks. Um, so, I'll go ahead and exit out of these. I copied out some code. I can... Uh, paste what it was just generated into my, uh, test method here. So I can just, uh, copy and paste it into any, you know, test framework. Um, it might, you might need to adjust some of the things it does, like, uh, what kind of assert statement that it generated. So it didn't have, it was just dot equal instead of equals, um, to get, to get rid of that kind of error. So little modifications that you might want to do. But, um, right now I have this headless set to false um and you can you know ask what what browser you want it to launch in so when i actually go ahead and run this test oh i always do this i always try to run it in linux okay let's try that again <laughs> so when i run this test um it'll actually be replaying it in front of me so it'll pop up a browser and everything and um you can absolutely set headless to true and have it kind of um execute without ui and a really cool thing is uh you can also take screenshots of it without having it actually execute with UI. so if you want to produce screenshots and kind of step through where um your web page was at at different steps of the execution, you can browse that without actually having it replay um if you know you're you're running this on a server or something like that. So that's pretty delightful. That's playwright, okay. Is test environment supported by any CLI tools or CI tasks, or just for VS? It is just for VS right now. I would love to get an Azure service, but um, that's probably a long time coming <laughs> to get more people on board. David knows what I'm talking about. Got to fund things and have services created. <laughs> Okay. Uh so I want to talk a little bit about some cool productivity things. So let's get into the code fixes and refactorings portion of our evening or lunch. What time is it for you? 6:37 for me. <laughs> cool. Um so uh, code fixes and refactorings, if you don't know what I'm referring to it, I'm referring to these uh, little screwdrivers and light bulbs that pop up in Visual Studio to kind of help you along. So you'll get these um, in squiggles um, and kind of have suggested like light bulbs and refactoring. So. Uh, this one is, for example, declare as nullable. So um, I have a constructor that never initiates this and it's saying, hey, you might be trying to call um, this member of this type and you would need a null check if you want to ever do that safely. So um, I can declare it as nullable and that'll add in all of the warnings wherever I use this that, hey, could be nullable, add a null check, do it safely. Um and we're not going to get into all of the different ways you can check for nullable. <laughs> that's a reference to the bang bang um memory happening on our, our repos. So we have we have this new um uh code fix and refactoring that's just two exclamation points that is going to be checking if null and uh ooh people are not excited about <laughs> The characters that we chose for it. But we won't get into that war here. This is a happy user group. Um, No, I love the drama. Hashtag .NET Divas. Let's do it. Okay. Um, Okay, so let's see a few more. So um, one is... Um the ability to change to file scoped namespaces, yay, integrating uh new c# sharp features. so file scope namespaces you can use to erase your curly braces and extra indentation if you're only using one namespace in a file. so it can literally shift all of your code left um, and you get back that kind of left space. I like saying shift left because that's a industry thing, but this is literal code, which cracks me up. um so uh, you can also. <laughs> Uh, oh let me go ahead and oh wait 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 I wanted to show you that you can get back from it too so file scope namespace and then the refactoring to get back is convert to block scope namespace David if you implemented any of these please do a shout out you deserve credit I didn't actually do this Cody <laughs> I don't
3: have bug fixes with the uh, file scope namespace and stuff
1: nice <laughs> um, Awesome. So another really big one around namespaces, it's the ability to change the namespace to match a folder structure. So right now, my namespace is out of sync with where this is in the file. So actually, let me go ahead and press that sync with active document. So this is where the um, file is. And it's actually in a folder just called solar system, just the title of my project. So I want to go ahead and sync this. And actually... So I can do this through the light bulb because I got a light bulb suggestion here, but I want to this to be kind of a standard for my entire solution. So I want to sync all of my namespaces with my folder structure, which I can now do with a right click in the solution explorer. So now my namespace is updated throughout my entire project. Yay! Honestly, I was debugging something with a mentee the other week and her namespaces did not match anything in their project or folder system. And it really tripped us up because I was trying to add a reference to a test project. And I was like, where is it? Why is it suggesting this random Azure package? And then I realized her team made that Azure package. That was their code. It was the right namespace to use. Oy, we got there eventually. <laughs> so sync sync your folders and namespaces just One of the the options that would help me. Okay, cool. So uh, another thing in the right click menu is remove unused references. And is it specifically, it's specifically on the project node. I right clicked on the solution node. Okay, so right clicking on projects, you can remove references that you don't need. Um, So it actually searches through um, your usings to see if you ever, like, use a type in those projects. And it kind of gives you a warning to say, like, hey, you can't undo this. But if you have source control turned on and you saved your file, so the references aren't there anymore, I can always go to my Git Changes window and explore. So I can see exactly what I took out and still kind of revert it from there.
2: Cool, cool, cool.
1: Uh All right. So one small thing that we also added kind of a little bit more recently is extracting a base class. We can extract to a totally different file um, and you can select which members to extract as well. So another just handy thing. Um, we definitely want to tackle more of the like moving code around kind of refactorings. Extract static method has so many upvotes. We'll get it someday. Someday soon. Right, David? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um another cool thing I want to show off is editor config. How many of you use editor config? Some nods. So editor config controls all of the um code style and analyzers and kind of naming styles and white space options um in your solution in a text document and now we have kind of ui that overlays it and ui is really cool but let's kind of dig into the code behind so um if you just press f7 you can switch from this designer mode to the file that it actually is and it's tracked in source control so you can check it in along with your repo so that everyone in your repository is getting the exact same code style that you're getting um which is super super helpful so uh Let's actually go ahead and kind of see this in action. Um,
2: what do I usually use for this?
1: Ah yes, 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 yes. So let's use something like the simplify new expression. So this is also one of the newer things in C sharp. You don't necessarily need these type names um, on the right side of your um initialization here. So I could do just new. So that's the simplified new expression. And I'm getting those three dots under it um, because uh, new as a code style is. Severity is set to a suggestion, so I could bump this up to a warning. So this is just a code style, so it doesn't change any of the meaning of your code. It's just kind of a stylistic choice. And if I bump that up to a warning, it now has a green squiggle underneath it. So it's a little bit more forceful, um, in its recommendation for how you're, you're writing your code. So the cool thing about this is when I go over to my editor config, you'll also see a change in the line. And let's go ahead and save this so that it will be really clear where it was. New naming rules. Ooh, how much did I
2: change? Not that naming specifications. Um, uh, let's do simplified new. I wanted to show you. Oh, here it is.
1: <laughs> I should have just typed in new dot dot dot. OK, so this is where the severity was changed to a warning. So Um, everyone who opens this repo in Visual Studio are also going to get a warning for this uh, because this warning in in your source control is read by Visual Studio and then it decides um, what kind of things to show in the editor, what kind of prompts. So you could choose an error, you could choose the suggestion, that kind of thing. So now it's a warning. So you actually saw when I was modifying this as well, code style. Oh, let's do severity. Now I'll do a suggestion and it's showing you um, what you're adding and subtracting the changes, the diff of your editor config file in the preview. Pretty cool. So I totally want to apply this to my whole solution. Why don't I go ahead and do that? So I'll just use the light bulb there and apply it to solution right here. And I'll go ahead and apply. And it's much
2: more simple. Oh, cool.
1: Okay, Uh, how much do I need to rush? Or should we just kind of pause and look at some questions? I have more cool things to show though, so I could keep going. Well, feel free to chat if there's anything that you're really wondering about. Again, I love adapting and talking about what you all really wanna talk about. Um, But if we just wanna keep going, uh, one thing I'd love to show is, see if it's working, some of you might have seen um, smart whole line completions that appear as ghost text in your editor. And let's see if I need to wake something up. Let's do.
2: Oh, there it was.
1: Stop typing, Kendra. Ah, stop typing, Kendra. Space. There it is. Okay. <laughs> so this is IntelliCode whole line completions. So let's do a little bit more and let's go ahead and actually just open parentheses. What I really wanna show is argument completion, but AI is finicky, friends. Doesn't always show up when you want it to show up. Let's, interesting, interesting, interesting. So you saw a little bit of the ghost text. What I'm actually trying to get it to do Is there we go is fill in the variables in the local scope. So you can actually detect what parameters would um, match what you're trying to call and fill it in for you. And then you can accept these completions with tab tab. So this is AI scanning over your local repository and applying models that it's been trained on um, when it when it was um, training on GitHub on uh, let's see over 2000 open source repositories in C sharp on GitHub, uh, which is Pretty cool. So it kind of finds common patterns and tries to apply them in your code. So this is a telecode whole line completion. So I can press tab tab and have that accepted. And one thing that I did want to show as well that's related to completion is a couple new new um, things appear in your call list. So we didn't have completion for indexers before. So if you had typed a dot, we still want to show that this type can be called with an indexer. So this, this with square brackets, wouldn't be in the list, um, but now it is. So you can kind of find realistically everything that you can call on a type, even though it might not actually be called by a dot. So in the same vein, we have, um, Overload overloaded operators also in the completion list. So even though I typed a period in order to get my IntelliSense list, I could still uh find an overloaded operator and it erases the period and can fill it in. And we got a couple questions. Um does AI help with difficult task of choosing identifying names? Um it I don't think it does yet at all. Um, but it it absolutely should. I do think naming is um as we know, the most difficult to learn to get right in development. Um, (laughs) Code completion sometimes freaks me out. Me too, Um, but it's good. (laughs) So overloaded indexers and operators and telecode completion. What else did I want to show? Oh, one super fun thing. Um you might have noticed these icons throughout some of my code. Um these are this is inheritance margin. Um I believe you can turn this on or off. So this shows you um basically the inheritance chain of your code. So everything that a type is implementing and um everything that it has a base type of, so you can easily kind of navigate up and down the inheritance chain with um things like this. So it shows implementers. I could go navigate to the base type of planet and show everything that um, derives from that type. Just kind of nice little thing. This was a super, super popular extension that um, someone on our team actually wrote. And um, they joined Microsoft and now it's part of the built-in tools. <laughs> Pretty fun. Uh, uh, one thing that I also really, really love to show, we have a few more minutes, is um, what do we call these? Inline hints. So if I hold down, if I have F1 on, if I hold down Alt F1, I can get glyphs to appear in my editor. Ooh, let's zoom way in. Yeah. So um, Alt F1, um, these little glyphs appeared where I had simplified my new expression or where I was using var. So see, I have var right here. I'll hold down Alt F1 again. Ah. Sometimes quick info. Fails, anyway, so hold down Alt F1. And you can see my double, my var changed to a double. And you can also see I'm getting parameter info. So these inline hints are for parameters and arguments and um, implicit types and new simplified expressions. Everything that might be kind of hidden in the code based on your syntax or whatever you're using, you can actually get back. And you can turn this on all the time. So uh, this is available in Tools Options. Go to inline hints. And so text editor, C sharp advanced, it's like all the way at the bottom. Oh, there's inheritance margin. Better turn that on. Yay. Um, And right above it is inline hints. So right now I have display all hints while pressing and holding down Alt F1 if you just kind of need to peek and see. What's going on? Um, but you can also, um, display them all the time and totally customize, um, what's there. So you, certain settings for different type hints or only for inferred types and that kind of thing. So if you hate var, um, you, but you, the rest of your team loves var, um, you can actually change what you see without changing your actual source code. Just kind of cool. Is that I said they should use ID. <laughs> yeah. AI completion. This
2: is pretty, pretty fun.
1: Cool. Okay, just kind of scanning to see if we have some more questions. Report viewer question: Flaky moving from VS version to version. It's not a standard control. You have to rebuild on each upgrade. Yeah, a major thing that uh, broke a lot of our extensions was the move to 64-bit. Um, so that that did cause a, a major rebuild in a lot of our extension ecosystem. So I definitely. Cut cut your extension offers off authors a break if um you're you're seeing a lot of uh kind of I guess bugs and stuff in new versions because a lot of them needed to go back and, and rewrite some things. We we should have been working with I'm sure we worked with Report Viewer. We tried to reach out to all of the top ones in the ecosystem. Um I think Leslie Richardson has a blog post about all of our extension changes and, and how we kind of addressed it because that was also one of the things holding us back. We didn't want to break our ecosystem. <laughs> So we couldn't move to 64-bit, but then we had to, so.
2: Cool. Let's see, where are we at?
1: I could keep going. I have razor editor things I could show off too. <laughs> uh, yeah. Go, go for
2: it. Go for
1: it. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Okay. Um. so one thing that I showed off, so, uh, before was kind of go-to definition. Um, so we do have that supported in Razor files. So again, Razor files are sort of HTML intermixed with C-sharp code um, for a fun party um, and to help you kind of stay stay in one language even while you're working uh, with HTML, which can be kind of nice. Um, so a big deal with this is that we actually totally rewrote our Razor editor um it's had some pain in the past and it probably still has some pain today because it's also new. Um so we're very aware of some of the performance issues and navigation issues and um needing to be a bit more feature complete. Um but things like rename, um, you know, we're we're lighting up some of the basic features that um people really love to work with. Um a really big thing with the rewrite was we moved to um LSP, Lang- uh, the language service protocol model, which is really cool. Um, It is something that VS Code started as a standardized way for languages to interact with editors. Um, So any editor, so VS Code, VS, VS for Mac, that kind of thing. C Sharp, the C Sharp editor, just the normal CS files, um, follow that model already. And that's why you can get a ton of what you get of the code fixes and refactorings and all this stuff um, across all of our different IDEs in a very kind of similar way. Um, it's because, uh, our compiler, Roslyn, is telling the editors in a standardized way what they need to show about all of our code, which is kind of fun. So we're trying to kind of go in that direction with Razor, which will make it, um, a lot more stable, um, to, to kind of, uh, put changes in and, and work on performance and, and keep on tackling the, the huge mountain of issues that, that we're kind of getting through. Um, big things though that we did change are, um, things like syntax coloring. So, um, we used to not do, um, secondary highlights super well. So for example, this is highlighted and this has a secondary highlight, um, little things like contrasting and, um, th- uh, code blocks used to be, uh, have like really obnoxious background colors, like huge yellow highlights that kind of thing. Um, we changed a lot of the color scheme around to be, um, a little bit more typical, I guess, of what you expect in, in, in files so that we aren't highlighting everything under the sun for you. Uh, cool. Oh, yeah. A really nice thing in this is um, I can delete using statements, and now I can. I now I have add add missing usings inside of Razor files. So slightly like different syntax and different things to search over, but one of the huge, huge refactorings that's that's probably our top refactoring is add missing usings because people know what type they're trying to call and they'll just go ahead and type it, and uh, the editor and your tools need to catch up with you. Uh, so, add missing these means rename, go to definition. Uh, I'm trying to think if, uh, there's some new things in IntelliSense inside of Razor files as well, but I'm not always, don't always,
2: uh, trigger it correctly. Mm. Yeah. Basically
1: it's supposed to auto-complete uh this inside of it. I'm trying to remember. Ah, yeah. Won't, won't get some auto completion again. So still, still a lot of work that we're uh trying to do there.
2: Okay. Cool. Any more questions?
1: We can dive in. Classic ASP, yeah. C sharp code inside HTML seems to be missing some colors. Yes. Um were stretched for colors (laughs) that we're loading um actually this file actually does look a little bit weird let's do don't save
2: and see if more things load
1: usually it does have more colors than this i'm trying to think maybe i threw some exceptions and was opted into an older uh coloring scheme but yeah it is missing right now if I have machine that VS 19 installed and VS 22 installed, any known issues removing VS 2019, damage to shared tools, et cetera? Um, not that I knew of, I do have a thousand versions of Visual Studio <laughs> installed on my machine. Um, so I kind of keep them around just so I can continue to reproduce older bugs. Um, I do think, I, I won't say there were no known issues with um, uninstalling Visual Studio 2019. I do think we were trying to clean up .NET SDKs on your machine. Um, David, I don't know if this is ringing any bells for you, but, uh, we, I, I'd go ahead and try it. Um, and because .NET, like .NET SDK versions are fairly easy to acquisition directly if you're missing one. So, um, and that was the only one that, that actually does come to mind with that. Um, but you can always keep both installed side by side on your computer forever, like Kendra does. So
2: <laughs> choose your own adventure there. Has anyone else got any questions for Kendra? If they don't, I I've got one. It's a little more general,
0: which I I'm just curious, Kendra, as a as a uh, program manager, um what's your, your average day? Is it just in meetings all day or do you actually get to write code yourself or
1: are you yeah. bossing
0: David around or what's your average day?
1: Definitely. Um, let's see. It's about 2 hours of yelling at David. Um, and then we have breakfast. No, I'm <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> We're not on the same time zone. Um, no. Uh I I wish I had a typical day. Um, it's really hard to to say that I do. Um, I guess for the past few days I've been reading through 700 comments on the test experience in Visual Studio because we sent out one of those handy-dandy surveys. What actually popped up on the hot reload uh, test experience? Um, so that that is something that I did put into the product. So um, kind of rifling through a lot of feedback. A lot of feedback requires me to code to understand what situation they've gotten into, um, and and kind of try to. Tr- you know, repro it on my own clone, uh, repro data, uh, repro solution that they provided or anything like that. Um, so it, it does involve using the tools a lot. I wish I was more productive. No, I wish I wrote code that I actually got to check in, but it's, it is a lot of demos and, um, repro-ing issues and, you know, tr- empathizing <laughs> with, with things, situations that I hear reported.
2: So, um, uh, yeah. Sweet tricks, features,
1: new things. VS is like a candy store. It is super fun (laughs) to discover all of the things.
0: Hi, Kendra. This is Martin. I do have a comment just in general about how pleased I am with the product in terms of its performance and so forth. So I was previously using 2019, especially when you had lots of things, you know, client servers running simultaneously. It would glitch now and then. And I haven't experienced any of that with the new variant. So it looks really nice. And also there's no memory leaks, you know, when you've got your little chart watching for memory leaks and so forth. It's just performing really well.
1: Oh, Wonderful to hear. Thank you so much. Usually we only hear about the bad things. So that's <laughs> <laughs> really, really. But we can see, you know, 99% of people are doing fine. So we, all we could do is, yeah. you know, The bad
0: stuff pays the bills, right?
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, but that's okay. Actually, in in the survey that I just went through, the 700 comments, um, probably half of those were very positive because I asked for pain points and then if there were any positive things <laughs> that affected their their rating on our tools and stuff. And and it was so it is really nice to um, remember that mostly it mostly works is the is the catchphrase. <laughs> mostly harmless. So. Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. <laughs> uh, do we know when VS 2022 for Mac is coming out? I do not have an update on that. I would, I would definitely, uh, ping Jordan Matheson on, um, Twitter or, yeah, I, I can get back to you, Tony, if, if you'd like an update on that. Yeah, well then I'm porting x64. I hope it makes the next port easier. Hint, hint. Gosh, wouldn't it be nice? Um, yes, there's, there's always, always an ongoing, um, debate of, of kind of when to take the next step and do a .NET Core port or, or, or get all those performance improvements and stuff. A ton of the performance improvements you see in VS 2022 was also, it wasn't 64-bit, it was moving internal components to updated versions of frameworks and stuff that they're using. So, it's, it's a huge combination of efforts for sure. Same move to VS22, but
2: better than expected. Oh, that's so great. Yeah. Uh let's see if I can like grab Tony's email and address because we can just get on a conversation with Jordan. Is it in the chat?
1: I can't see it. Oh, but I can share. Um, you can always tweet me at gotheap on Twitter and I can follow up and oop, oh, find the people that uh do have the answers to your questions. That's my real, uh, strength. Not knowing anything, but knowing who knows the things. That's what I really do all day. David?
2: <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's, that's an
0: important role.
1: Yeah. Um, yeah. are all the things I demoed available in VS Community 2022? Um, I believe so. I believe, uh, I'm just going through the list. And telecode is available. Remote testing is available in community. Um, I am using enterprise right now, but I believe everything I showed is available now. Um, New reason. Yeah, all of our code fixes and refactorings. Yep, yep, yep. I did a demo live unit testing. That's an enterprise only, but
2: we're good. Yeah. Another
0: another more general question when you shifted to 64 bit i guess that, that was essentially a big breaking change did you consider uh i guess visual studio is built on like this uh, c plus plus and c and dot net and i think it basically is built on dot net framework the the windows dot net framework was was that a okay. thought to switch to the dot net core wpf bits or was that like one step too
1: far um, I think it was already a massive chunk of work and we needed to do one thing at a time is how I would say that. So I, uh, I think, yeah, trying to do everything at once would not have, uh, helped us get 64 bit out faster. Mm-hmm. So we needed to kind of be a criminal about it.
0: Yeah. Just thinking about back when Visual Studio adopted WPF that really, I think that had a big impact on the quality of WPF. So. Thinking further ahead, it'd be nice to see that in the
2: future. So, yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. yeah we have internal engagement is always really interesting when Microsoft users, we do have tens of thousands of users of .NET, of course, internal at Microsoft, and we're also always getting feedback from them. So any kind of, yeah, in-depth usage of our own tools is is always really good for the product.
2: Cool. Well, I'm conscious of the time, but if anyone it's sort of last chance for any other questions, if uh, anyone has got something they wanted to ask.
0: I'll just ask one more, Dave. Um, yeah. Kendra, this might be a little, oh, and also, David, this might be a little bit out of your area, but lately I've been fiddling around with some lower level Windows stuff, and I've been using the P in both Windows API. It's awful. I was wondering, is there any, um, any plans that you're aware of to move this into the 21st century? The, the, you know, the Win32 API or equivalent?
1: David, did you nod? Wengo, do you want to take this? <laughs> I,
3: I, I, I was, I started nodding because I thought I knew where the question was going, but then it didn't oh. go there. So, um, <laughs> I, I, yeah, it's, it's sort of the wrong, uh, we're, we're the wrong side of the company, uh, because that's sure. a Windows dev thing, but, um, other than WinUI is, you know, presumably that attempt and all those APIs. And, and so I guess we come into that with Maui, um, targeting that for its Windows supports. But I mean, Win32 API is a very large set of specific APIs. So it probably, it's probably not a very good answer without knowing exactly what you're calling. But, um, the, the only thing I, what, the reason I started nodding, there is a newish, um, I think it's called CS Win32. Which is a, uh, source generated P invoke generator wrapper for you, which makes calling them easier. Um, So it doesn't remove the fact that you have to call these horrible APIs, but at least makes, takes away some of the pain of like marshalling and pointers and all that, some of, some of that sort of stuff, um, by just generating the right things. Um, so that might be worth looking at depends on, yeah, exactly what you're calling, I guess.
2: Okay. Thanks for that. Appreciate it.
1: And I can put my email in the chat if you want to email us and follow up at all. We might be able to locate the people who are a little bit closer to that work.
2: Cool. Well, we might, we
0: might wrap it up there and, and let Kendra have the rest of her evening and, and everyone else can get back to work or go out for a lunch or whatever you were planning to do. Uh, would, would everyone join me in thanking Kendra very much for joining us today for a fantastic talk and uh, I I've learned a lot myself um I thought I knew visual studio but yeah picked up some really nice tips today so that was really good um do uh follow Kendra on Twitter if you're on Twitter or uh yeah reach out to her if you do have some questions i know she's very helpful i had the privilege once of being able to ask her a question about testing stuff and she was able to point me in the right direction so yeah great person really appreciate her joining
1: Thank us you. today Thank you. Thank uh, you so much for having me. And thank you for everyone who asked questions and turned on your cameras. It's like I was interacting with real people again.
0: Yeah. I love so, that. I'm a PM. <laughs> we would love to have you come visit Adelaide one day. If you're,
1: oh, my you're gosh. That would be amazing. Yeah.
0: <laughs> have a tour of Australia. So I'm mm-hmm. sure that could be organized. Fantastic. All right. Well, have a great day, everybody, and uh, look forward to catching you all again next
2: month. And, yeah. Goodbye, everyone. Thanks, guys. Enjoy your day.